Hello, everybody. We're glad you're with us as we continue on today in uh, our study of the New Testament. We're working through the New Testament a chapter at a time. Um, if I remember rightly in, in writing this on the bulletin, this is uh, our 100th meeting uh, on the New Testament. So uh, that's, that's pretty good. And uh, like I said, I, I think if, so we're two years and a little into it. It'll take us about five years to knock it out. And I expect you here every Wednesday. Make your plans now. Um, we have worked through the Gospels together, Matthew, Mark. We did John, and then we did Luke. And right out of Luke, we moved into the book of Acts. We did it on purpose because Luke and Acts are written by Luke. And they're written to a man named Theophilus, which means lover of God. And it uh, has a very uh, Gentile perspective on the events. Luke was a historian. He researched these facts very well. And, and then he recorded for us in the book of Luke, Luke the, the uh, early life and ministry of Christ. And, uh, and now in the book of Acts, we're talking about the church. And uh, we've been looking to see how all that goes. In the, in the first chapters of Acts, it was really all about the church in Jerusalem. And then we saw uh, in the last uh, chapter or two uh, that it's starting to spill out into Samaria and, and the focus is about to shift again, um, and it's very much along the lines of Acts 1-8. You'll be my witnesses, you know, here and then in Samaria and to the ends of the world. It's about to spill out again in the coming chapters as um, the Holy Spirit comes on Gentiles as well. And the, the whole thing begins to change. It moves from um, being a, a Jewish movement to incorporating the church does Gentiles. And... and We'll watch this thing happen here in the next couple of chapters, and we get some precursors to it today. Uh, there'll be a shift coming up and, uh, in the main characters. Up until now, and, and sort of in 9 and 10, the focus is still kind of on Peter and the rest of the apostles, but primarily on Peter. And what's going to happen is we've been, Luke has been introducing to us, since uh, the stoning of Stephen, this guy named Saul. And he's been around in every chapter, and he gets a pretty major encounter today. And then we'll see that in the coming chapters, it's pretty much all about the ministry of Saul. And uh, he, Saul, who becomes, who is the Apostle Paul, has a name change at some point, uh, and we'll see that as it happens. Uh, they refer to him differently. Um, not only is he easily the, the most notable missionary that the church has ever had, um, he also wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. And so he, he was the most prolific of the writers of the New Testament. And uh, he continues to this day to have a great impact on the church and the life of believers. It's really a pretty significant thing when you know that, that the way that we've known Saul so far is he's just been trying to destroy the church that's there in Jerusalem. Um, the conversion of Saul is believed by some people to be the most important event in the church other than Pentecost itself. And uh, Luke certainly thinks it was pretty important because he records uh, the conversion of, of Paul three times in the book of Acts. We, we're going to see the events that lead up to uh, Saul being converted. Saul, Paul. I'll interchange them now because they're going to get changed. And so we all know we're talking about the same. This Saul that we're talking about is the Apostle Paul, all right? Um, uh, let's see. 
the, uh, this conversion um, it, it happens and it records for us here in the beginning of Acts chapter 9. And uh, it, it's preparing us for what's going to happen in the coming chapters with the movement towards the Gentiles. And so is the ministry of Peter in this chapter 2, all preparing us for what's about to happen in chapter 10 when um, the Gentiles in, in Cornelius' home uh, ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit falls on them as well. And that, then, it, then it's the whole thing. It's, 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 you know, in Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the world, it's started to spread now out into Gentile believers. Um, we, we sort of catch this part of Paul's ministry right here, I think, because Luke is tying it to the stoning of Stephen. And, and the stoning of Stephen kicks off an increase in persecution headed by Saul, Paul, in the process. Because after uh, this, there's, there's sort of a pretty big gap between what happens now with Paul and where he really begins his the very most, most fruitful ministry, although he has a pretty powerful ministry right off the get-go. And then he kind of goes off into the desert for about ten years uh, and, and is prepared by the Lord for what happens from there. Uh, most likely, Saul uh, gets so aggravated and wants to persecute the church because of Stephen's um, proclamation in Acts 6 and 7. If what Stephen says is true about the law, Saul's in big trouble. And so rather than listen to it, which is what none of the Jewish leaders would do, they just decide they're going to stamp it out. They did it with Jesus, they did it with Stephen, and now Saul has taken it on himself to kind of stamp out the entire church. But um, Saul is an amazing choice to be the missionary for the early church that God called him to be. And, and listen to just a few of his qualifications, because it's pretty fascinating. Um, Saul knew the Jewish culture. And the language as well. So he was very well placed to minister in that way. Um, because he was brought up, his hometown was in Tarsus, he was well acquainted with the Greek culture and its philosophies, which he would use and you'll see he uses throughout his ministry. Uh, he also possessed all of the privileges of a Roman citizen, which was very unusual for a Jewish person in that time. But he came from a family of wealth who had managed to buy Roman citizenship. And so he had, it's a big deal for, for what he had, because not only, because that meant a lot. To be a Roman citizen meant a lot back in that time. He was afforded all sorts of protections because of it. Um, he was trained and skilled in Jewish theology, and he had one of the most notable rabbis as his instructor, as a young man, Gamaliel himself, who was a very uh, considered to be the best sort of rabbi in Jewish theology at the time. Um, because he had a secular trade, he was a tent maker, he was able to support himself while he was off doing these missionary things. It was a big uh, qualification. And, and God-given characters of zeal, leadership, and theological insight. These, these were all embodied in Saul, even though when we first find him, he's using them in the wrong way. But God sees what he needs to see. And aren't you glad God looks past all that and sees the heart? Remember we talk about that all the time. Isn't that a good thing? God, God sees all this stuff, and Saul's the one. So let's look at Acts chapter 9. I'll read it to you, and then we'll, we'll talk about it um, a little bit verse by verse here when we're done with the passages. 43 verses, Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there, 
who belonged to the way, which is a term that Luke uses in, in Acts to describe Christianity. Whether men or women, women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple, a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you, uh, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after uh, taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly, in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. 
Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to ur- and urged him, Peter, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And the tanner is a guy that took and cleaned the animal skins, not like George Hamilton. Okay. <laughs> that's funny. If you're, if you're old enough, that's really funny. Okay, well, I think it's funny. Maybe it's not really funny, but I... Okay. So, let's, uh, let's talk about this. In those first nine verses, um, Saul is all stirred up um, because of what Stephen had said. And so he's persecuting the church even harder and he hears that things are happening in Damascus, and so he gets permission from the high priest. And he says, give me some letters, because what he needs is letters of introduction to the synagogues in Damascus. And he's going down there with permission to um, find any believers that are there and to arrest them and, and bring them back as prisoners to Jerusalem. Uh, note that the church is still very connected to the Jewish people, and they're still meeting in synagogues. All right, so they're, they're still there. It's at the very beginning of the church when, when these things were taking place. However, on his way to Damascus, Saul runs into a bit of a snag, and that snag is named Jesus. Jesus has other plans for Saul. And the Bible says that um, it, there's this big flash of light from heaven, and, and Saul Paul later tells us that he sees Jesus at this point. And, and Paul is, is uh, Paul Saul is knocked to the ground, or he falls to the ground. And Jesus says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, look, that's a pretty important verse, because what you notice in that verse is that um, Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Why do you persecute me? Um, it's very significant to see the union between Jesus and the church. And that we're his body, we're his bride. There's, there's all those connections. And Paul will be the one who writes continually for us in the Bible about being in Christ. What it means to be in Christ. And, and it's a picture of what happens here. And, and Jesus just backs it up by saying, why do you persecute me? And so he's, uh, Jesus is making this big connection between himself and the church. And we need to, to remember that and see what's has been happening in this process. Paul says, well, who are you, Lord? I mean, uh, Paul, Saul, isn't aware yet um, that it's Jesus, we don't think. But he knows he's had a very intense supernatural encounter at the very least. And he's like, well, who are you, Lord? It's a very, like, this is a big deal. And he knows it. And Jesus identifies himself, and, and, uh, and then uh, he tells Paul to go into the city where he'll be told what to do. And when Paul gets up, he, he, he realizes he's blind, 
and he goes off to the city there, and he's three days where he's blind, and uh, during this time it, it says that he fasts and he doesn't eat or drink. You got to get there had to be a big shakeup, because here's so, and get this guy too. He, all of his qualifications that I gave you, this Saul Paul is pretty sure of himself. He's got every possible credential that you could need to do what he does. He's well-respected, and wherever he goes, things happen. I mean, he's going in, and he's arresting people and sending them away. And he has this supernatural encounter with Jesus, and, 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 now, he's, he, and now he can't see. And he's got to be wondering, what in the world is going on? You know, what's this all about? He's, he's obviously stepped into some area he's just not sure of. So uh, he's, he's waiting during these three days. And then verses 10 through 18, this is one of my favorite little stories, just because I love the sense of humor that I feel like God has. The Lord uh, speaks to a believer named Ananias. And he says to him, hey, look, I need you to go over and pray for Saul over there. And Ananias is like, uh, Lord, you know about this guy? Like he doesn't know, right? I mean, do you get that? Have you ever? Because I think we do this with the Lord all the time. The Lord's got to say, uh, Lord, um, you know, that guy that you want me to go and pray for, um, he's been like wreaking havoc on the church in Jerusalem, and he's come here with permission and authority to arrest people that call on your name. You, you get it? And I love Jesus just kind of goes, Go. This is the guy I've chosen. Don't worry. Just go. And, and, and so Ananias obediently goes. And I imagine at that point he just figures, well, if he's going to get me, he's, you know, the Lord's in it. So better to follow and go from there. And so Ananias goes and he uh, finds Saul just where he's supposed to be. And he prays for him. And as he lays hands on him, his sight is restored and he's filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus also makes, uh, one, of the, one of the statements there is, is pretty intense. The, the things that, that Saul Paul is going to suffer in fulfilling the ministry that Jesus lays on him, he's made aware of up front. And, and just to give you an example of some of the things that Saul would go through, um, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27. I just wanted to read you a list. And this wasn't at the end of his life. He wasn't finished. This is where he was at the time. Um, he's ultimately going to be, be killed for the sake of the gospel. But listen to what happens to Paul in his great ministry. <clears throat> Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. You probably would never want to get on another ship, would you? Like after the first one. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. This is the... Description of the ministry that Paul gives that he's gone through in his life. 
And you get that it's pretty intense in what's happening, but, but these are the things that he went through. I mean, so as you, as you read about the ministry of Paul, which we're going to do, and how powerful it is and how effective it is, you need to know that it was no picnic by a long shot. Five times he got 39 lashes. Five times. Let alone, you know, he was stoned and left for dead. That's supposed to take you out. Shipwrecked three times. I mean, just crazy stuff. And this was his life. And he was well aware of it going called into it. But see, this is the character of, of Saul Paul. And, and the zeal that he had for the Lord took him through all this. In verses 19 through 25, we see that right away, uh, Saul starts preaching there in Damascus in the synagogues. And um, be, because he's got so much knowledge and stuff, he's able to go in. Now that he's met Jesus and no one can out outdo him he he's got it whatever their questions might be he's got every answer he's got it all he saw how you know he immediately gets how it all fits together and he's very convincing and people immediately start coming to jesus in response to his ministry there in damascus which is over you know days he he has this huge impact to the point where the jewish leaders which is a theme throughout the new testament don't want to hear it and whenever they see it coming they try and stomp it out and they decide well what we need to do here is Kill Saul. This is not a new tactic, is it? <laughs> this We've seen this over and over and over again. Uh-oh, we better kill him. Remember, this is the response of the religious community and leaders. It's not good. So they're going to kill Paul. And it's a walled city with a gate, so they're watching the gate day and night. And when Saul Paul tries to get out of the gate, they're going to kill him. And so what happens is the believers there, they lower him down in a basket outside the wall one night. And that's how he gets his way out of Damascus, and he heads over to Jerusalem. But think about it, because there's some tremendous irony in here. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. He's going to go let him have it. He's got permission. He's, gonna, he's just going to wreak havoc on the church there. And, and he's on his way to do that. Remember, just all pumped up and ready to go. And, and I love it, because he enters the city blinded. And he leaves the city in a basket. And rather than persecute the believers, he's the one being persecuted and the believers rescue him. Isn't that great? You see how God does stuff sometimes? Just completely turn that around. And, and so, um, you know, that's, rather than marching in and dragging people out, he, he just led in blind and lowered out in a basket. I love it. It's a great picture of how the Lord works in people's lives. Because I'm sure that's not what he expected. And, and you know... How'd you get to Damascus? Well, <laughs> and he would recount the story many times. So, um, he's, he has to leave Damascus because they're trying to kill him. And out he goes, and he heads over to Jerusalem. And he wants to go and hang out with the other believers. Guess what? They don't want him. Why? Well, the last time he was there, which wasn't that long ago, he was killing them. Beating them and tossing them in jail. And they don't believe it. They probably think it's a big trick. And so they won't have anything to do with him. And he's like... Well, you know, what do I do here? And enter the scene, our, our good friend Barnabas, that we spent a lot of time talking about. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who's so respected in the church. The same Barnabas who had sold a field back in Acts chapter 4 and was so respected in the church that, that when Barnabas reaches out to Saul, believes him, trusts him, and he takes him to the apostles and introduces him and, and vouches for him, and they say, okay. And then he's welcomed there in Jerusalem, and he begins to preach. 
And again, his ministry is very, has great impact. And, and uh, he is leading people to the Lord. The church is starting to explode again. And, and all these things are happening. And, and guess what happens? The Jewish leaders try to kill him. They want him dead. Now, that's not a new story, is it? And, and so the apostles hear of it, and they have to get him out of Jerusalem. The, the believers get him out of Jerusalem. They escort him to Caesarea so he's safe. And then they say, go back home. Go to Tarsus. And uh, we'll go from there. And it's interesting, I think, because the, the Scripture says at that point that the, the church enters a time of peace where it grows significantly. And I think what happens is Paul's ministry was so impactful. It was stirring up the religious people so much because he was one of them. And he, he had like every answer that, that when he finally leaves, they're like, thank goodness he's gone. And they take a step back. But the church flourishes anyway. The church just takes off and grows and continues to grow. Paul, Saul, will, will spend about ten years now back home at Tarsus. And I, we don't get any idea of what he does. Uh, other than when the time comes, ten years later, he's really prepared. I, you know, I, what do you think he did being who he was? He probably went and studied all the scripture again, labored over them now that he knew Christ. Because he's going he's gonna to present stuff in his letters. It just ties everything together for us. And, and he would have spent the time getting ready, preparing for what the Lord had for him. Okay, um, so that's, that's our introduction now to Saul. Not quite Paul yet, but, but coming. But our main character still is Peter. And, and Peter's going to go do some stuff in a nearby town. He leaves Jerusalem, heads to this other town, Lydda. And um, he has some, uh, Luke records some very powerful ministry from Peter, all of which is sort of preparing for the next jump when the church moves into the Gentiles. Because the ministry that Peter's going to do in this place is preparing him for the ministry that's going to happen in the home of Cornelius. Remember, which would have been... They hadn't ever expected that this would spread to the Gentiles. And and so I love the way God makes this all happen. So the, the, the things that happen here um, in, in preparation for chapter 10 with Peter in verses 32 for 43 of this, he, there's, there's two miracles recorded that uh, P- uh, the Holy Spirit does through Peter. One of them is the healing of a bedridden man named Aeneas that we read about, about eight years bedridden, and Peter prays for him and he gets up healed. The other, pretty significant, is, is Tabitha um, being raised from the dead. And you'll see the similarities in Peter in very similar healing situations that Jesus had. It's very that Luke records them that way, where where we see Jesus performing these same sort of miracles. It's a it's a picture of the Holy Spirit at work in in Peter's life and in the church's life as well. And so um, what what happens is that because these happen in this town, Lydda and Joppa, um, his ministry is confirmed, in, and there's no doubt about any, in anybody's mind that that Peter is. Um, you know, a valid servant of the Lord. Um, these towns that he's in have a significant number of Gentiles in them, which is also a big deal. Um, because he's, he moved away from Jerusalem to go out and do this ministry. And so there's, there's, there's Gentiles in this area who are also hearing what's happening. And, and then the last little detail, I made a joke about it, but it's pretty significant, is that uh, Peter's living in the home of Simon the Tanner. Why is that a big deal? Because the tanners, since they were involved with dead carcasses all the time, were considered ceremonially unclean 
and the, the, the Jewish people couldn't hang out there. And yet Peter's staying there. It's a big statement. In, in, it's a big deal. It looks like it's no big deal, but it's a big deal. All of these things are preparing Peter for what's about to happen in chapter 10. When, when he will go in uh, to the home of Cornelius and be prompted by the Lord to preach to them the gospel, and they'll receive it. And that's the beginning of us, uh, of most of us. That's how we got in. All right? Unless you're Jewish here, that's how you got in, is through what happens in Acts chapter 10. Uh, and uh, that, that just paved the way for what was going to take place. And so that's the events of Acts chapter 9. Next week, Acts chapter 10, fascinating chapter as well as, as it, the Holy Spirit moves and, and Gentiles become part of the church. And we'll pick that up there next week. If you're watching my video, thank you for watching. We're very glad that you're a part of this. If you have any questions or anything, call us, write us, email us, let us know. And we're going to go ahead and close here tonight with prayer.